uh, I spoke last week about uh, why you need the Holy Ghost. And I talked about the Holy Ghost. And we're here today, and if you don't have the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit, whatever you, however, whatever words you use to describe it, I'm here to tell you that you can have it today. And we have water. You can get baptized in the name that is above every name, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be in him, and you can get him in you. You can receive baptism in water and baptism of the Holy Ghost. And I'm here to tell you, it will help transform your life. And I know... We just came out of camp meeting and there were a lot of individuals that were there and there were heard a lot of good word and a lot of preaching and a lot of miracles and uh, today was to be a day that we encourage people to get the Holy Ghost and I am encouraging. Uh, I want to encourage all of you to, uh, we're going to have, a, I know I'm stopping the noodles from coming, but we're, we're going to worship and praise the Lord. But I want to, I want to talk about <clears throat> something that uh, I know we are growing. Apostolic have a great history, a great legacy, and I appreciate that. I appreciate what uh, God has done. And uh, in fact, uh, Brother Lehman <clears throat> was talking to me about his father received the Holy Ghost in a revival that was here in Newark, and then later, of course, went to uh, Crooksville and and uh, all these things. And <clears throat> was with uh, Brother Brown and others, and and was talking about the history. What a great legacy that this church has and we're I appreciate all of you that are are here and doing your best to keep the presence of the Lord flowing and the doors open and having the presence of Almighty God. But we're I want to talk about changing my self view. And I know that doesn't sound like it has anything to do with the Holy Ghost, but in reality, it has everything to do with the Holy Ghost. And I think it is something that probably we don't often think about, but it's vital. It's critical for this hour, especially. And I, I don't know how to uh, make it any more important or put any more weight on it than what I, I really think it deserves. But our self-view is vital because, you know, you look in the mirror and that person that you see, uh, it's like, who is that? And who am I? And at times you may have looked in the mirror and said, I'm terrible, I'm horrible, I am, and go through a whole list of negatives. You may have also looked in the mirror and said, Rico Suave, I'm God's gift to green, you know, this green planet. And uh, watch out, I'm pretty cool, I'm bad, whatever, good, big, bad, you know, whatever. I, I don't know. But there is that sense of how do we look at ourselves and what is our self-view? And I know that we have all kinds of theories that are out there and it's kind of amazing about some of those theories because when you stop and you think about those theories that um, in fact our society maybe in the last 50 
years or so has had a, a real transition in kind of thinking about self-view. And I, I'm, I, I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's healthy, but I don't, you know, I don't think it's much different from the other one, uh, the other side, the ditch on the other side as well. And let me kind of explain what I mean. It's been that there's been in the last 40 or 50 years, maybe maybe a little more since the advent of psychology have taken place, and I trained as a psychologist, that, that a lot of therapists believe that the problems that we have are the result of a poor self-view. In other words, you know, that things happened that made you look bad or feel bad, and therefore it this started this domino effect, and you know, they point to parents, and I, you know, you've heard me saying, my mom and dad are here, and it's all my problems are the result of them, you know, dropping me on my head or whatever when I was a child, and, and you know, it, it, you know, and I, laughingly, of course. And then, you know, we see this, uh, well, if we could uh, only make people feel good about themselves, then there wouldn't be crime, there wouldn't be problems, there wouldn't be any issues if we, if everybody felt good. And then maybe if then maybe if everybody, you know, was equal, if we all had the same amount of money, if we all had the same amount, you know, we all look the same. And so then there's that whole thinking that, you know, we can promote just sort of a, a whole sense of then nobody, I wouldn't be jealous of anybody and I wouldn't feel bad. And I'm here to tell you that putting everybody equal is not going to get rid of all your problems. Amen. No matter how society tries to make it feel. Because there are still going to be those in an equal society, Russia, China, whatever, that are a little more than equal. And so then there is a little bit, you know, unfortunately, there are going to be those that have a little more beauty or a little more good looks. Or a little different job. I mean, you know, have a little more education. A little more. So you never get it completely the same. And so consequently, you may say, well, it will get rid of all issues if we could have a wonderful self-view. And Believe it or not, Paul addressed this all the way back in Corinthians. And so I'm going to tell you what Paul told the Corinthian church. And this church is nothing like the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was fighting all the time. They, people fought each other. They didn't like each other. They had all kinds of issues going on. As a matter of fact, they, they would get into disputes about <clears throat> almost everything. And Paul was one of those that established the church. The church had 
by the time even Paul wrote this letter, there had been a lot of powerful ministries that had come through the church at Corinth. It was a, a very prosperous metropolitan area. It was uh, a very powerful church at, for its time. And he opens up the first letter to Corinthians and he says this, for you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty and not many noble are called. Wow. He's immediately cutting everybody down. Now that there were mighty men and there were noble men and there were, uh, you know, powerful people. But imagine if I were to get up and say, look, none of you are really all of that in a bag of chips. and None of you are really awesome. And none of you are really, well, you know, some people would walk out and say, pastor was so mean to me today. Pastor was so terrible. He hurt my, oh. That word, he crushed my feelings. Anyway, he goes on to say, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and the weak things of the world to confound those that are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised Hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh, what? Should glory in his presence. Basically what Paul was saying is, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to live for God, here were people that had the Holy Ghost, people that had been baptized in Jesus' name, but he was basically saying, you're going to have to learn the most important lesson is that you've got to stay humble before God. You cannot come into his presence thinking you're better than anybody else or thinking for any reason that you deserve, you know, a pat on the back and then God, you know, bless that I'm here and I, you know, I, it's just so awesome, you know, and, you know, I can't believe that this, and I, I'm here and I'm awesome. And so Paul nails that right at the beginning and, and he lets them know that no flesh is supposed to glory in the presence of the Lord. And yet we know that they were, they were fighting amongst themselves. I was baptized by Apollos. I was baptized by Simon Peter. Cephas is called in that in, in the in 1 Corinthians and, and there was no unity. There was no spirit of working together and, and some were, you know, it was like how much I talk in tongues. I talk in tongues more than you and you talk in and, and Paul addresses all of that in this church here in Corinthians. It was a tongue-talking church. It was a church that believed in the Holy Ghost. It was uh, that you could receive it. It was a church that understood uh, about communion and yet they didn't understand about communion because they would get together on days of the feast and some would have a great meal and, and some would have, you know, you know, just whatever. And, and they, this church church was, as, as I said, it had nothing to do with, with our church, but it was people in general. 
And so Paul starts by addressing these issues and he establishes the important, some important lessons, one of them, which is the need of humility and the danger of falling into self-deception. Because believe it or not, we are capable of deceiving ourselves. Now, I know none of you in here would ever believe you're deceived. But the Bible is very clear. Our heart is desperately wicked. And it can flip on and make us flip right into worldview of what our self-worth is and etc. etc. He goes on down, third chapter, and, and you'll let me read it. I, I won't read my words. I'll, I'll show you why Paul said it. He said, let no man, what? Deceive himself. How could you deceive yourself? Well, if any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. So in other words, when I start thinking, I know what I need, what I need to do, what I, I got to throw all of that away when I come to Jesus and say, Lord, I need you to take my life. I need you to guide me. I need your presence. I need your help. Now, he says, for the wisdom of this world is what? Foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are vain, empty. Therefore, what was his statement? Let no man glory in men. Now, what do you mean by that, pastor? Oh, they're awesome. Oh, this one's not, well, that one's not as good. This one's awesome, that one's terrible. He said, don't anybody glory in men. For all things are yours. Whoa. And then he goes through the list again of preachers, whether Paul, Apollos, Cephas, or the world. Did you know that all things in the world are ours? All things in life are ours. All things in death. We don't have to be afraid of death. when we have a view that, oh, what if I die? What if I got sick? What if I... The problem with that is, guess what? I lose my faith in God. True. I don't want to die. I'm not, I, I'm not asking you to be foolish, but at the same time, I, we, if you are filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name, and in Christ, 
You do not have to be afraid of what will happen tomorrow or the next week or whatever in the world or America. All you know is, I, you know what? I'm going to do my best to do for God. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to be in the presence of God. And one of these days, whether it's my grave or by the rapture, I'm going to go be with him. I'm not worried. It will not impact my life. And yet there are people that live in fear. And Paul is saying, look, you don't have to worry about, well, the world, the world is going to, and I've had people say, oh, pastor, America, the world's going bad. And I, I can agree with you. I will say it from the pulpit, but it doesn't keep me up at night. Right. Oh, the planet is going to burn up with a fervent heat. It, it doesn't, I don't, guess what? I, I, don't, I don't stay up worried about it. I don't throw my trash. I don't litter. I'm not trying to pollute. But at the same time, my worldview, my self-view is said, I am who I am in Christ. I am who he says I am. It has nothing to do with this world. It has nothing to do with life. Oh, I need, I go to a doctor. I let the doctor tell me what I need to take or don't take. Or I need to exercise more, lose more weight. I get all of that and I'll do my best to do it but it's not going to keep me up at night because I've got a different view that I am a child of the king I live for God and that somehow he's going to take care of me and so he says whether world, life death or things present or things to come all are, can you imagine? All of it is mine. And I am Christ. And Christ is. Now you say, well, pastor, I, I'm worried about what's going to happen with the economy. I'm worried about what's going to you know what? You're going to have to change your self-view at some point. Now, that's how he wraps up the third chapter. Of course, there were no chapters in the Bible. He goes forward in the fourth chapter and starting that, very, he says the same thing. And now he's getting more specific. He's going to nail it about himself as a minister. He said, let a man so account of us as ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found what? Faithful. I'm doing my best. I'm being faithful. I'm doing my best. Be in the house of the Lord. Get in the presence of the Lord. Encourage somebody else. Then he gets real detailed here. In fact, it's kind of over the top, if you will. Because he said, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you. Or of a man's judgment. And then he goes one step further and says, I judge not my own self. For I know nothing by myself. Yet I am not hereby justified. Why? 
What, what, what does he mean by all of that? That's kind of gobbledygook. But basically what Paul was saying is, yes, oh, it's so wonderful. You know, say, oh, pastor, we love you. You're wonderful. But guess what? That has nothing to do with me getting to heaven. Everybody in the world can pat me on the back and say you're awesome, but there's only one judgment that matters. Okay? And it's not my view of myself. That's why Paul said, I can't judge myself. Have you ever felt that? I, I, I don't know. He said, basically... The one that judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time. When is the time that judgment will happen? <laughs> Until the Lord come, who both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make count the make manifest the counsels of the heart, what's been going on in your heart, and then shall every man have praise of God. Whoa. These things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written. That, then his powerful line, no one of you be puffed up for one against another. Anytime you start judging yourself, you always find somebody to compare it to. Because that's how we pull ourselves up. Oh, I feel so bad. I feel like I, I need to pray. I feel like, uh, oh, but at least I'm not as bad as. Think about it. Y'all probably never felt, felt that worldview slip in there. Huh? When the Lord's telling me, you need to pray. You need to be, uh, but you got to understand. I mean, Yes, I, I understand that I really should be nice, but if you had to live with what I, I got to live, just saying. Huh? Anybody here? No, no, I don't want you to raise your hand on that. When our worldview, when my self-view starts working on me, I then start comparing. Anyway. And Paul identified that as the problem that the Corinthian church had. And he goes on to say, who made you to differ from another? Well, I worked hard. I got a degree. I, I got five degrees. They call me Dr. Fahrenheit. I, whatever. Dr. Centigrade. So I'm really brilliant. Well, then there's somebody that went to a different school, a better school, or whatever. And thou hast, what hast thou that thou 
didst not receive. Oh, then that really knocks all of that down because there is nobody that's gone to college or gone to high school or gone to grade school that did it by themselves. You had a teacher, you had a family that supported you, you had people that helped you. Huh? Even if they cooked supper, <laughs> even if they watched the kids, anybody know what I'm talking about? Whether it's education, whether it's work, well, I got a great job. I work at a great job. Well, somebody's got to cook at McDonald's so you have something to eat. Huh? So Paul is nailing, you receive something, and if you did receive it, then why do you think it's all you that's got it? And we've all heard stories of people that have put their spouse through an education program or a degree program, and then guess what? They get all of that, and then they're, bye, see you. Huh? And society looks at it and frowns on it and says, that's terrible. I agree, but the point is, now if thou didst receive it, why do you glory? And if thou as if thou hadst not received it. So Paul is nailing some very important truths here about our self-perception or self-view. And he is basically identifying that the main problem with self, sorry, let me go back up here. The main problem with self-deception and with some of these things is that Number one, that they, um, produce pride and boasting. It's called glory in this. But the main issue is that it produces some pride and some glorying. That all of a sudden, I find myself a little proud and a little boasting. When what are we supposed to be clothed with? Humility. Lord, thank you. I, I should be getting up every day. Lord, thank you for another day. Lord, thank you for allowing me to wake up today. Thank you for what you've given me today. Thank you that I can come and go to church today. Thank you that I can feel your presence today. It's not about who I am. It's not about how, what I have, but it's about who he is. Oh, you say, well, pastor, I don't need, I don't need church. I don't need the body. I don't need, oh, I need God. I need his presence. I need, if I don't have that, guess what? I, I don't know that I have to go to church five times a week. I don't know that I, I, I don't know because I think I, whoa, most cultures used to believe that the reason for crime, cruelty, violence was because people had too much of a high view of themselves. The Greek word is hubris. You can look it up and see what it actually means, but it means you're full of yourself, basically. Yeah, that's true. And not a good bunch of stuff if you really get detailed about it. And they used to believe that people that you know, would beat somebody up because they thought they were all of that. Boom, 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 boom. They had too much hubris. People that would attack others, people that did harm to others, people that robbed stores because I, I deserve it. I'm going to pull out my guns, pow, 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 pow. 
And that's what they used to be taught, that those kind of people had too much ego. In fact, when I was in Australia one of the first times, Brother David Guy, I don't know if you've heard this expression, but somebody was telling me, we have an expression here called tall poppies. What does that mean? Huh? Full of yourself. And they well, he's a tall poppy. <laughs> if they say that to you, they think you got a lot of hubris. Well, he, you know, we call it all that in a bag of chips. <laughs> well, I've heard a lot of other expressions too that I won't get into today, but just because we'll have to delete them from our. Well, yeah, he really thinks he's, uh, huh? And we've all run into people who we would go, mm. and guess what? In order to do that, I have to place a judgment on who I am. As Sister Vicki just said, when you always point at someone, there's, three pointing backwards or four, huh? And you say, well, but pastor, it's really true. They really do think they walk a little above the ground. Uh, who are you to judge anybody else's servant? That's what Paul was trying to say. Because if you're not, if you're not extremely careful, it gets in your spirit about you. That's where it becomes deadly. The more you judge somebody else, the more you're placing judgment on yourself. Whew. And then now we are facing the shift that, of blame now that what has happened is in more recently, and I guess we've all seen it, and it's kind of sickening, is the fact that it is not because of people <coughs> having too much hubris that we look at, but because all of a sudden now they have been mistreated as children. That that's where their low self-esteem. And so we have the whole culture and psychologists, if you would encourage them and build them up. And the reason they're having crime is because they can't find a good job. And the reason that they're involved in this is because they're, they got bad problems. And the, the reason, huh? anybody heard those kind of messages? The reason is because they don't feel good about who they are. And they just don't, you have to, you know, you have to encourage them because they have to somehow recognize that this is not, you know, something else. So Paul, when he was writing about this, he did not use the word hubris. The Greek word to identify this type of pride. He used a very different Greek word. A word that we would say has very little, we would normally think has to do with pride and boasting, but he used the word physio, which is like you would think of physical or, you know, that Greek word, the base word for just fleshly. 
And it means being puffed up like our natural ego. And he, six times in 1 Corinthians, and you will read it, he nails physio, physio, physio. In fact, there are verses that you probably can already quote out of, uh, out of you know, he, in, when he gets to chapter 13, he said, love vaunteth not itself up, is not puffed up. He's talking about, you know, and he goes through repeatedly. In fact, in Colossians, one other time. The, the word is only used about six or seven times in the entire New Testament. And Paul uses all of them. The only other time is in Colossians when he says, Let no man beguile you of your reward in voluntary humility and of worshiping angels, intruding on those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. He uses that word here to describe this sense of I, these individuals that have what we would say is this proud or this ego that is swollen. And now I know when, you're, when anything is swollen, if your feet get swollen, if your hands get swollen, Caitlin just had a baby and there were times that's extremely painful when you are going through, you know, your hands are swelling or your feet are swelling and just, you know, you gotta take your ring off. Oh Lord, I'm just so in pain. Anybody, I wanna say, has anybody ever felt something like that? But you know, imagine how painful you know, that is when you get swollen and, and that's physiologically when anything is swollen. So guess what? When your ego gets a little swollen, how does it feel? Painful. My feelings are hurt. It's really not your feelings. It's your ego. Well, it hurt my pride. It hurt my ego. It hurt my physio. They didn't speak to me. That, that hurt. Anybody, nobody's ever felt that here. These are the Corinthians. But anybody know what I'm talking about? People come in and say, you hurt me. You hurt my pride. You hurt my whatever. It's like being empty, puffed up like a balloon. And when I start feeling hurt, and I start feeling empty, that's when I believe people turn to something to fill it. Because I got an empty spot in my heart, in my, I'm painful. Nobody? Nobody talk to me. I'll never, I'll never have this kind of job. I'll never go to, I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to get a home. I'm never going to get, huh? I'm empty. Nothing's going to ever work in my life. So I do something to try to fill that void. And unfortunately, a lot of times it's inappropriate. And then I start, 
comparing myself to someone else. I don't have as much as they have and they have a better this and they have a better car and they have a better family and they have a better this and they didn't go through what I went through and you didn't experience what I, and then I look and I tell people, you know what, you'll ne- you don't understand. You don't know what it feels like to have your mom or your dad or your wife or your husband or your children look at you and say, yada, 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 and I feel despair and I lack so much and I start comparing myself to everybody else. What, what's going on is that somehow I have got to change my view. I've got to realize I was born again. I am now a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. Those things that used to matter and those things that used to bother me, I know who I belong to. I have the world at my disposal. Nothing present, nothing future, nothing in the by and by is going to stop. The Lord's going to come back. Everything's going to be all right. He's the great equalizer. I know in whom I believed. But when I start finding myself overwhelmed and and I, I slip back in to that sense of this world view, I get puffed up and I start comparing myself to someone else and this human condition of comparing myself to someone else results in this oscillation between feelings of pride and feelings of despair and today I feel terrible and I feel horrible and tomorrow I feel like well you know what at least I'm better than somebody else over here anybody know and it's a constant yo-yo. I'm terrible. I look in the mirror. Oh, I'm horrible. Oh, you know, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I think I'm pretty awesome. I know you may not like me, but guess what? You know. And what Paul was trying to say is you've got to get off of that yo-yo. I have more than... I got I, this less than, I feel good about myself, or I don't have, you know, why? Because this continual battle of feelings of inadequacy and emptiness, when our ego is very busy and very fragile, Paul explains that, you know, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to get a transformed view of yourself. That's why in the, for, the beginning of those, I read these verses. I mean, read them in the Amplified because I read them in the, in the King James. But here it was. So then let us apostles be looked on as ministering spirits of Christ and stewards of the mysteries, the secret purposes of God. Moreover, it is essentially required of students that they be found faithful, proving himself worthy of trust. But as for me personally, it matters very little to me that I should be put on trust trial by you on this point and that you or any other human tribunal should investigate question and cross examine me in fact I don't put myself on trial or judge myself I am not conscious of anything against myself I feel blameless what does that mean that he was perfect no Paul was quick to say I'm not perfect but I am not blameless I am blameless you can't blame me I know who I am facing I'm facing the Lord and the Lord is the one that will judge me when he'll bring everything to light Amen. 
And it ultimately doesn't matter whether you think I'm awesome or not. And it doesn't matter whether I think I'm awesome. That's why I got to have the Holy Ghost. That's why I got to keep the Spirit stirred up. Oh, don't make any hasty or premature judgments before the time that the Lord comes. I tell you what, oh, you know, Pastor, you feel like you're just ready to walk down the street of gold. You know what? I feel like as long as I stay in Christ and Christ stays in me, God's going to take all that. I'm not worried about tomorrow. I'm not worried about what's going to happen. You know why? Because I know the Lord has got every commendation. He has got everything that I need. That's why Paul later would say to the, uh, he, he later would go as far as to, you know, basically say, I don't care what you think of me. I don't care what anybody else thinks of me because the only one I'm playing to, the only one that I care about is what he thinks of me. And that changes my whole perception of who I am. Now, what, what do you, let me, let me, let me just quickly go ahead. So, Sister Shell, play. He says, I, you know, my conscience is clear. Didn't mean he was in, innocent or that he was perfect. In fact, he called himself the chiefest of sinners. He said, God came to save sinners of whom I am He didn't look at himself as a good person. I am just a person that needs God. I need God. I desperately need God. Because it's easy for me to start looking at other people. And I know that God is the ultimate judge. You know what he said? The correct view isn't thinking more of myself. That's why you hear me say, I don't care about your self-esteem. You need to have God-esteem. The correct view is not thinking more of yourself. Yes, I'm a champion. I'm awesome. I'm wonderful. That won't help you. The correct view is not thinking I'm a worm. I'm terrible. I'm horrible. That doesn't work either. The correct view is thinking of myself less. Not thinking less of myself, but thinking of myself less. What are you saying, Pastor? I, let, let, me, let me show you here. I have been called to become self forgetful. Criticism isn't what devastates me. Pastor, you did a horrible job on Pentecost Sunday. Thank you. I forgive you. He didn't tell me that. Pastor, you did awesome and amazing today. Thank you. That's not what motivates me. What motivates me, I'm playing to an audience of one. Why did I pray? Why did I study? Why did I read? Why did I open the Word of God? Oh, I'm not trying to offend any of you, but sorry. You're not 
I don't preach to you. Oh, boy, I hope he got it today. I was trying to get my son-in-law. That's not why I'm doing all of this. I, I confess, I put tall poppies in there because I knew you'd relate to it, understand that phrase, and they wouldn't. But what's supposed to motivate me is a desire I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. When I look in the mirror, I'm not admiring about who I am. I'm not cringing at who I am. I'm saying, Lord, change me again today. That's why I need the Holy Ghost. That's why we get buried in Jesus' name. I, 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 I don't get buried in anybody else's name. I want to be crucified like he was. I'm not worried about anybody else's spirit. Spirit of fear, spirit of anger, spirit of frustration. Uh, you know what spirit I need? I need the Holy Spirit. Oh, I got to get more of Jesus. I've got to walk more toward the spirit and less in my own way. Notice very carefully, everything else in the world, whether it's other religions, other cultures, other education, is all based on we measure your performance and then we decide whether you pass or fail. We measure your looks and we decide whether you're beautiful or ugly. We measure and then we give a verdict. But Paul was saying, Corinthians, you got to get this thing in your mind. The verdict comes first with Jesus. Then we work to try to perform like him. I want to be like him. That's why he would say there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ who walk not according to the flesh but according to his spirit. This is why when Jesus came and he was going into his baptism like we can go, he heard a voice and what did that voice say? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Off the bat, off the get-go. It was not like you've got, uh, let me see how good you are. It had nothing to do with how good you are. It had to do with I am now passing the verdict. When you come and you are buried in his name, when you are repentant of your sin, when you get the Holy Ghost, the verdict is sealed. You are going to make it if you will stay in Christ Jesus. It's not about how good you are. You say, well, I failed again today. You know what? You know who's, in, you know who's watching? Get it together. Get back in him. Plunge back into his presence. Go back in and say, wash me again, Lord. Cleanse me again. Well, I feel like I'm really all of that. You know what? The Lord will all of a sudden show you. Turn the spotlight on and you'll go, oh, wow, I didn't realize that was in there. Anybody ever had that happen? You know why? Because the more you're in him... Let's stand. Hallelujah. I, I got more. We'll talk some more practical tonight. I hope you understand. But you know what? The whole key to all of this is you've got to change your self-view and think less of yourself 
and more of him. Oh, I want to be like him. If you want to be like him, why don't you come today? We're going to stand. We're just going to ask the Lord. I want to be like you, Jesus. I want to be like you, Jesus.